0: It's KC. Uh, we've been moving through a series called The Manifesto, uh, digging into the Sermon on the Mount. We're now like session, I don't know, nine, ten, something like that, wherever we've landed. And I am delighted that Caleb Scott, uh, one of our students here at Central, is going to be speaking today. Why don't you give Caleb a round of applause here as he comes. <laughs> give him some love. Um, Caleb had a big birthday this week. He did. He what age were you? Twenty-one. 21. Uh, we'll be administering the bumps later on, um, or something like that. Uh, happy birthday. We're really happy to have you. Uh, you're going to give people your intro and all that stuff too, so you can just you know, do your thing. I'm just going to pray for Caleb, and if you would like to um, just hold out a hand as we pray for him today, uh, that would be great. So let's pray. Come Holy Spirit. God, you tell us that um, we may have the most eloquent words and we may have faith that can move mountains, but if we haven't got love, we've got nothing. So Jesus, I pray, would you fill Caleb's heart uh, today with love, love for you, a love for what you're doing in this world, a love for the church community that uh, sits before him today. God, I pray that you would give him courage, you would give him insight. You give him wisdom today. God, I just pray that uh, he might hear the whisper of your voice while he himself speaks today. So Jesus, come and surround him. Let this feel like home. And we just pray these things in your name. Amen.
1: Cheers, Dave. So, yeah, um, thanks again. Uh, I'm Caleb, obviously. And um, I'm not actually a student at Central, um, which Steve kind of implied. <laughs> I'm a student at Queen's, and I'm studying. <laughs> <laughs> He's not my rabbi or anything. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm a student at Queen's, living in Belfast. Um, I'm from Dungellin, and I'm studying English. Uh, I've been going here for two, has it been two years exactly yet? Yeah, nearly. Two years, and this is my like home church, family church. And I'm really glad to be here, speaking um, I'm speaking on the idea of criticism today, and um, in our Sermon on the Mount uh, series, so I'm looking at Matthew verse or Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 6, so if you want to get that uh, queued up in your paper, Bible, or otherwise, um, and I'll just start reading. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when all the the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces." Uh, So I'm just going to take this sort of passage, verse by verse, and just run through it from start to finish, so it's pretty simple. Um, So we'll start with verse one. Do not judge, or you will be judged. How many times have you probably heard verse one? Um, You hear it all the time, you run into it all the time, often from people who don't really have much time for the rest of the Bible, um, and people who just want to use it as a little jail-free card sometimes. This verse doesn't actually seem that countercultural, because at the moment, the most important thing is to live and let live. You don't judge anyone, you don't say anything to anyone, and you don't challenge anyone. And often when a Christian makes a moral statement or a value judgment, they're immediately confronted by this line. How can you call yourself a Christian? Didn't Jesus say, don't judge or you will be judged? Um, So how can you say, this is wrong or that is wrong, that this is a sin, now that's a sin. Um... (coughs) So what does this verse actually mean? Because obviously we do have to challenge people. We do have to say things are sins. We have to make judgments in our lives. I believe that Jesus is not condemning the overarching act of judgment. But he's taken on three main things. And the first is that you shouldn't be a critic. Jesus is condemning the spirit of criticism. And I see that we live in an age of critics and 24-hour news analysis where everything is overanalyzed. There's nothing a politician or anyone in the public eye for that matter can say or do before it's boiled down and looked at until there's nothing left. We look for the worst in what people are saying all the time. And that's what the spirit of the critic is. And it's something that we should avoid. Politicians can't say anything anymore that has any content. They're have to. They're reduced to dodging questions and spinning truths. They're stoned for having, for sticking to a point of view. We don't need this in our lives. We don't need this critical thinking in our lives. It stifles cr- creativity. And it, um, it just, just, it's just a distraction that can create anxiety. And it reminds me of a story when uh, a few years ago I was in France. I was volunteering. And I, I met a writer out there. And she was talking about how she wrote plays. And she lived in Glasgow. And she was making a living out of, out of her work. And I was really excited because I was just about to start my degree in English. And I was amazed that I finally met a writer, someone who did what I wanted to do for a living. And I was talking to her and chatting away and I told her how I was about to start uni and I loved writing and I want to be a writer and all this here. And she, for the first time ever, she challenged why I was studying English. Because all the while I thought if you want to be a writer, if you want to s- do that for a living, then you study English, you read literature for three years, you get a really good insight into what all that means and then you go and do it. But she explained to me that you have to be so careful when you're studying something that it doesn't leak into your own writing. The hardest part about writing, as she told me, was, that, was this getting it down on the page first and foremost. And if you have this critical head, this critical thinking head, which you need for a degree, then you have this voice telling you, how will that be received? Don't write that, but write this instead. And you, you end up getting nowhere. And this is the spirit of criticism that Jesus is talking about. This paralyzing, stifling critic that doesn't do anything but just sees the worst in everything. Moving on. um, So the second idea I think Jesus is really talking about in this verse is that we shouldn't judge each other on secondary issues, issues that don't really matter. It's amazing how superficial we can be with most of our judgments. When you're a teenager, we're judged on the clothes we wear, On who we hang out with on what makes us laugh and then when we grow up it's more about what car we drive what job we have and these things really have no bearing on who we are and who we are in jesus Um, if you're a student like me then apparently you do nothing (laughs) and if you don't be a student and you get a job then why do you never get a degree Um, if you have a pint are you doing the whole christian thing right if you don't have a pint Are you too uptight and too holy to join the rest of us? We can judge just about any behavior that we do or don't do. You will be judged by the mistakes of your children or that of your parents. And all this judgment really gets us nowhere. It's again, it's a a distraction because it really has no substance. We are all so much more than our mistakes. We are all so much more than the stuff we have and the stuff we like. So we shouldn't judge each other on secondary issues. The third thing that I think Jesus is saying is that we shouldn't write each other off. Why We hear statements all the time that he's a loser and she's hopeless, and there's no getting to that person at all. These people, is unreachable. Belfast is unreachable. But that's just not the case. We should never pass the final judgment on someone. This is what Jesus is saying, because none of us know all the facts. We do not know what's going on inside another person's head. We sometimes don't even know what's going on in our own head. We can't make these final judgments on people. and It's really heartbreaking when you hear family members um, say things like, I'm never speaking to that person again. That person is out of my life. I'm done with that person. This finality, this it almost feels like we're just cutting them off forever. It's just not the way we're meant to live. We're meant to live for eternity. We're meant to live forever and you can't cut someone out forever. It's too long. And it's, it's the same with Jesus, we often cut people off in regards to the church, we say that person will never come to church, that person there is just, they're just too in- uninterested they're too passionate the other way they're the most hard-boiled thought-thinking, intellectual atheist I know and I'll never get them here but the thing is that Jesus isn't done with them so why are you? We should never judge people to, we should never judge people finally we should leave that to God Jesus warns us that the ruler we use to judge will be used on us. Thank God that God doesn't use the same ruler on us that we even apply to ourselves. How many times have you told yourself that you're just never going to get this done, that you're never going to get through this, and that you're never going to get over that obstacle in your life? Jesus doesn't see it that way. Thank God that God is so much more kinder and merciful than we are towards ourselves and others. And we should, we should think about that mercy and that grace when we're judging others. This is not a God who's saying... You know, it's not this is not karma, it's, you know, ju- judge, judge not, or others will judge you. This isn't about doing something to get something in return, this is about Jesus setting the ultimate example of grace and mercy and us following that example. So, don't give up. Moving on to uh, the next few verses, I want to talk about the whole speck and plank analogy, which I find really hard because. Uh, the plank's just too big in my opinion i'm not gonna i'm not gonna criticize god's use of image because he's the author of life and all that but it's it's just too big the the, the plank's just too big for it to be funny but anyway um i think that this verse really does actually show god's sense of humor he deals with a very heavy issue of judgment and such a ridiculous analogy and this was picked up by a writer called elton trueblood who wrote a book called the humor of christ and he pointed out that us modern audiences, we just sit and we just nod along with Jesus, and we think, "Oh, that's that makes sense," when it really doesn't. And he came across this when he was reading out this chapter, very seriously. When all of a sudden a little boy decided to laugh, he thought it was great. There was a plank in someone's eye, and they had made no notice of it because it does sound like something from Tom and Jerry. <coughs> and so he looked more into Jesus' writings, and he deci- and he saw many parodies and ironies. Um, and I just think it's really interesting that there was a, a child and it's that sort of childlike mindset that you have to have for this, for this part because um, it just reminds me of in Luke 18, 15 to 17, particularly 17, uh, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So we often receive the kingdom and its insights when we're thinking like a kid. And Troubad said that the kid's laughter was a rebuke to his parents because they failed to acknowledge and respond to the humor in that unexpected place. Excuse me. <coughs> Jesus had no po- <coughs> no problem spoofing powerful powerful people. <coughs> Sorry, a bit dusty in here. <laughs> um, yeah, Jesus had no issue um, taking par- taking humor to powerful people, and taking the mickey out of them. And I love the idea of Jesus cracking these jokes in, his, in the middle of a sermon in some mountain somewhere in Jerusalem. Or Galilee. And it warms my heart every week to see Dave try and mimic this humour. Because <laughs> he, really, he, he really does give it a go. <laughs> and I have to uh, gr- Dave was actually very gracious because he, he actually read that. He's read my talk so he knew that was coming. <laughs> and he still managed to laugh. But anyway, as I said I we have a wee bit of difficulty with the the plank and the speck because it is too big so I thought I would use an example from my life <coughs> um, and I could think of loads about times when i have been a bit hypocritical and judgment, judgmental but I think the best one is a time when me and Amy my girlfriend uh, were driving to the Moy well she was driving and um, we're driving down the Moy I don't know where we're going it's a little village outside Dungannon. and she nearly hits a curb she swerves out of the way I think yeah, she did hit the curb Anyway, my point exactly. Um, And I always, I I turned around to her and I was, I wasn't annoyed, but I was just like, why why do you always hit curbs? You always hit curbs. Um, And some of you may pick up on irony of this, if you know me and Amy, because Amy has actually been ferrying me around for three years, (laughs) three and a half years nearly, and I'm yet to set foot on the pedal. (coughs) Specs and planks. If we're gonna make a judgment, (coughs) and this verse implies that at some point in our lives we are gonna make a judgment, we need to make sure our hearts are in the right place and that we aren't blinded by our own stuff. I am struggling. You know, it's so much more valuable when we take a look at our own stuff um, and have our hearts right in the right place before we give anyone else advice on their lives it's impossible to give advice on someone and guide someone through something when it's your stumble blocked out and you haven't got over it Jesus is not saying that there's no misbehavior that there's no call for people to be challenged (coughs) and that you're never going to judge someone but what he is saying is that when you do, you need to look at yourself first. You see a woman or a man and you hear her gossiping. Cheers. Um, And you think about going over and talking to her about the issue, but... uh, Sorry, I've lost my opportunity. Um, Yeah, so if you're really concerned about holiness or truth or whatever it is you feel lacking in someone's life, make sure you look at yourself first. If you see someone gossiping, make sure you take 30 seconds and ask yourself, (coughs) Lord, do I gossip on a regular basis? And if I do, God pointed out to me, show me how to to get through that. Search my heart. If you're really concerned about bringing correction to people's life, you have to start with you. See, Jesus understands that we project our flaws and faults on other people all the time. And it's often the things, that enrage us, the things that are in us are the things that enrage us the most when we see them in others. If you're really interested in getting someone who's gone off track, Jesus always says, start with yourself. Make sure your annoyance, your irritation, and your problem is not, what's <coughs> it's not a reflection of what's in your own eye. But take the time to be honest and real with God. Make sure you say, God, search me, know me. Is there anything in my life that needs changed? And then you're ready to move on to that other person. Because this is why we need the church. But we need to be honest with ourselves and God first. There's going to be times in life where we all need correction. And we all actually do need some judgment. We need, someone, we need a bit of criticism. We need someone to say, listen here, you've gone off track. But here's how they bring us back. But we need to make sure we're doing that out of a place of love and not out of a place of irritation. This verse also suggests a real sense of intimacy in how we correct each other's mistakes. This isn't some far off idea, but this is literally removing a speck from your eye. And I don't know a lot of people I would trust to do that, because I don't like people touching my eye. (laughs) It's sensitive, and it takes a degree of trust and care. And this sounds simple and really obvious, but you see, in the moment, it's not. Twitter didn't give people opinions, but it gave everyone a mic. And TripAdvisor didn't give us taste, but it made us all connoisseurs. And we, didn't t- we don't uh, use this criticism. These critiques don't come from an up-close and personal way. They often are directed that people will never know and never meet. And I don't think that's helpful. We need to make sure that we're not just using our opinions like grenades and we're just throwing them over a wall and we don't care what happens. We need to make sure that we're using our judgment to be real and we want to make a difference, but it's not going to be a shot in the dark. It has to be a careful and loving moment. And this reminds me um, of some of Paul's writings in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 2. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not love, I am nothing. The first thing is love, and the first thing is ch- is making sure that You're not blinded and that you're up close and personal. At the end of the day, you could have all the knowledge, wisdom and insight and you could know how to direct someone's life perfectly. You know exactly what twists and turns they should make, what choices they should make. But if you're not doing that out of love for them, then you're just controlling them for the sake of it. You're just playing puppeteer. Make sure that when you're correcting people and you're judging people, it comes from the right place. Because it'll fall on deaf ears otherwise and it'll have no real impact. The last part of this um, passage makes really strange, makes, makes use of a really strange Im- um, image, and seems to divert the conversation as well. We have dogs getting some sort of sacred items, maybe like anointing oil, and pearls getting pigs, or not pearls getting pigs, pigs getting pearls, um, which is great alliteration, But I don't know um, if it wasn't caught in Jesus' native tongue. Um, and this image uh, is kind of regarding. Uh, Gentiles and stuff. Anti uh, Wright talks a lot about this. He says that, um, it was kind of uh, Wright believes that Jesus is saying that people outside the Jewish community find it really hard to understand the ways of the kingdom. Um, but that th- doesn't really matter right now. Um, I think that this verse is showing a difference between being wise and having good judgment. Um, Jesus does not does not want us to get it mistaken. We are to make judgments in life, and they're often about stuff. We aren't to be wasteful and foolish. And no other person in the Bible personifies this sort of judgment than Solomon, who wrote a whole book about being wise and all his wise words, which is called Proverbs. But one of my favorite stories isn't from Proverbs, but it is about Solomon. And it's one where Jesus really has to make a good judgment. Or ju- Solomon has to make a really good judgment on whose baby is who. And it sounds a lot like an EastEnders storyline. I don't know if you know it. It's the one with Ronnie and Cat. It was Christmas special. I think it was 2000, I think it was 2012, but Amy will know more than me. And Ronnie steals cat's baby, and it's, it went on for months. It was crazy. I'm sure you all know it. But anyway, two prostitutes came to the king Solomon and stood before them. One of them said, "Pardon me, my lord. This woman and I live in the same house, and they had a baby." Blah blah. blah. One woman, one baby dies, and the other is still alive. And one of the women did a wee like switcheroo, and so. Whoever had the dead baby now has an alive baby, and whoever had the alive baby has the dead baby. I should just read this because it's way more clear. Um, so, during the night, one this woman's son died, and she lay on him. So she got up in the middle of the night and took my son while I was your servant, while your, I your servant was asleep. The next morning, I got up to nurse my son, and he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning light, I saw that it wasn't him. The other woman said no the living son is my son and the dead one is yours. And this went on and on and on. So the king said bring me a sword. So they brought the king a sword. They gave an order, cut the living child in two and everyone gets one half. Problem solved. The woman said whose son was alive was deeply moved out of love for her son and she said please my, God, my lord give, me, give her the living baby, don't kill him. The other woman said, "Neither I nor you shall have him. call him too." The king gave his ruling: "Give the living baby to the first woman. Do not kill him. She is the mother." This is a great example of using um, wisdom and judgment, and um, yeah, um, judgments like this. Well, not like this, but these sort of judgments are important in life, and this it's just an example of not getting too caught up or not yeah, not getting too caught up in this whole do not judge. Like Jesus was not saying do not ever judge, do not judge, make judgments. He was saying, as I talked about earlier, the sort of judgments that you do make you need to be really careful, especially in regards to be in relationships. It is necessary to judge. Jesus makes clear in the in verse six, but we must be careful how we judge. The critical thinking that Solomon shows and Jesus asks us to show must not be the same when when it's in the context of relationship with each other. See, for a long time I thought that my critical thinking was the best thing about me. I could cut up a book or a movie or anything in front of you. I could break it down. And I loved a good argument. And I still do. And as far as my degree was concerned, this was perfect. This is exactly what I needed. I needed to be able to go in, read something, pick out the good parts, leave the bad parts, the rest of it. But the reality is, this isn't good for every avenue in my life. It doesn't help when I'm in a a relationship with someone and I'm just cutting them down and making judgments and being overcritical. It just makes me hard to be around, if I'm honest. Things can get personal very quick. And then you aren't a wise judge. You're just mean and hurtful. Suddenly you're overanalyzing everything someone does. You're being hard on those you love. Making wise judgments is important, but going back to what Paul said, love sums, love. it's more about love than anything else. We cannot be critical of people just for being people. It's fine to critique things as long as it doesn't spill into our relationship. And I've let this happen before, and I can leave you with a hard heart, and that's the last thing Jesus wants for you. Don't let being a critical person dominate your relationships. You may need it for navigating certain parts of your life, but you need to be careful. We have to be incredibly careful in the way in which we judge people. We can't be overcritical. We can't be dealing with things that don't matter. And we have to make sure we are right with God and others before we judge or else we'll be blinded by our own stuff. We have to take real care. And if we're going to make judgments, do so in a warm, from a warm and loving place. Finally, we are to be wise and thoughtful. But we are not to let our critical mindsets and work overflow into our relationships. Thanks, Jody.